0: Hey, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to episode two of Breakdown to Wake Up. Uh, thank you all for being here today. Joining today is Tiffany Toombs, and Tiffany is the founder of Blue Lotus Mind, Blue Lotus Mind Institute. Through Blue Lotus, Tiffany set about to f- fulfill her personal mission, which is to empower men, women, and children from around the world to live an intentional life aligned with their deepest truths. And so we're gonna have Tiffany Hart here on in a moment. And for those of you who are joining us today, thank you so much for being part of this. Again, Breakdown to Wake Up, the, the whole purpose and intent of this show is to invite people to come on board and speak openly about their own personal journeys of breakdowns in our lives. Because I truly believe that when we have breakdowns in our lives, that is the biggest and most beautiful fruit for us in our personal growth to grow and discover who we truly are by removing all the falsities of life that we were told of our lifetime. So welcome, 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 and join us. We look forward to having Tiffany join us here in a few moments. Tiffany, hi, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Jocelyn. I'm super excited. Yeah, i want to share a little more about the audience with the audience about what you're up to in the world. And I love this. I, I was reading this earlier and I was like, gosh, I, this is personally something that I, I also subscribe to and I've, I've witnessed. So, um, in today's age, busyness has become a badge of honor. And my guest today, Tiffany Yu, um, has been watching as people compete with each other to see who is busier and ultimately who has more stress. In the process of busyness and pushing, you believe, and I also actually believe in this as well, that it's easy to lose touch with the things that truly matter most to us. That it becomes easy to seek out the quick fixes or the solves to suppress those little niggles in the back of our minds, those little things that we think we need to compete with others to, to keep up with the challenges, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And for you, you combine a wide range of passions and skills to help clients to achieve breakthrough results. So I love that. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I
1: mean, as a recovering workaholic uh, and somebody who was addicted to stress for a long time, I mean, I've lived it. So I know just how toxic and dangerous and yet appealing it can be in the moment. And that that doesn't always give us the life that we that we think we're working towards.
0: I love that. Can we dive into that more? I'd love to actually if you can go dive into i workaholic because I will tell you, I am also a recovering workaholic. That's the word I use.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, so for me, it was, and I didn't realize this until much later. I just thought that this was how I was wired. Um, But growing up, I had two very different childhoods. I had, so my mom left my biological dad when I was three months old because he was emotionally abusive to her. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some physical abuse, but she's. it's nothing she's ever talked about. Um, and my mom met my stepdad, who's the man that I, is my dad, uh, when I was six months old. And so I had these two very different childhoods when I was with my mom and my stepdad. There was, and eventually my half brothers, there was a lot of love, a lot of laughter, just a lot of like what you think of the quintessential family. And then when I was with my biological dad, because he had um, rights to see me every second weekend, he started dating my stepmom, who ultimately ended up being my abuser. And she was a, dom- a domestic violence survivor herself. And her lack of dealing with her own wounds led to me being locked in closets, me being burned with curling irons. Um, and then when I was seven years old, between seven and 10, there was multiple times where she would drive me to the outskirts of the city that I was from, threatened to leave me on the side of the road, threatened to leave me for a stranger to come and kill, threatened to make sure that I never saw my parents again. And so between the ages of seven and 10, I, I had the the unfortunate experience of having to beg for my life. And none
0: of that my Was your father aware um, of this, this inter- interplay between yourself and your stepmother? I mean, he wasn't,
1: he wasn't a great human being himself. So if he was, I'm not sure that he cared even to, the, I mean, the last time I talked to him was maybe seven years ago, he tried to come back in my life and I just said, why now? And he made up all these lies about how, you know, he didn't like how my mom was raising me. And I was like, I was a straight A student and like a huge overachiever. Yeah. I can see why you totally did not like the way that she was raising me. Like didn't ever do any drugs, like, you know, didn't drink until legal age almost. So I was like, yeah, I can see why, why you would have been so horrified with that. Um, so, I mean, he was just a compulsive liar and a narcissist. So if he did know, I don't think I don't think he cared enough because it would have created issues in his relationship. And ultimately that was his priority. Um, But I never told my mom and my stepdad what was going on. My mom suffered from depression and anxiety the majority of my life. And so I felt even from a very young age of like three, I felt very responsible to like look after them emotionally. And I knew I just inherently knew that I was strong enough to, to, to just handle it all. So I kind of took it all in, uh, pretended that I was okay when I was with them in my teen years, that anger really started coming bubbling up. And the only way that I could know to control it and find any sort of worth in myself was one through becoming like this obsessive overachiever, which ultimately led to me being a workaholic. So, Uh, You know, being able to juggle multiple responsibilities and getting validation that I was good enough by people saying, wow, like, look at all the things that you do. Look at all the things you can accomplish. And then through eating disorders, I created this control so that I could control my physical appearance um, and gain some sort of worthiness in that way. And so that ultimately led to being a workaholic for a long time and it, it's my default setting. So like yeah. 2020, 2020, when we were in lockdown and I was like, well, there's nothing else to do. I fell back into that pattern again. And luckily now I have the tools to be able to recognize it and say, okay, this isn't, this isn't a healthy strategy for me. Let's find something else that works better instead. Um, but ultimately that's where it came from was hiding from all the trauma that was under the surface that I'd never wanted to deal with.
0: And and I'm so glad that I'm so glad you highlighted that because I I my workaholism was also tied to worthiness as well as like it was really very apparent during my marriage Um, and in fact my former spouse often would comment he's like when are you gonna turn off like when do you shut down like shut down from work and be present to what's happening right here right in front of you and for me work filled a void. Right, mm-hmm. made me feel worthy. It made me feel like if I can accomplish A, B, C, D things, then then maybe I'll be deserving of love. Maybe then I will receive um, the compliments, and you, you, someone else will show up for me. Because look, I look at how amazing I am by all these external things that we do, right? So, i yeah. what was what was one of the turning points for you of when you realized? Uh, what what was working and not working in your busyness
1: yeah so i after i finished college um i actually and like this was the level of overachieving that i was at in the final year of my undergrad degree or the sec, my my third year i guess my second last year i was approached by the top two masters supervisors at my university And they both said, we don't normally seek out people to do their masters with us. Like we have stacks of applications on our desk. Both of us, neither of us have ever co-supervised before, but we both like see so much potential in you. And so we've decided that we want to, um, to co-supervise you in a masters. And this is going to be the topic that you're going to do. And I was in such a place of like overachieving, perfectionism, people pleasing at that point in time that I, I couldn't say no. It was like at that point in time, it felt like the opportunity of a lifetime. And even though I wasn't super stoked about the topic that they had picked for me, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go all in. And so for a year, I spent hundreds of hours in the library doing lit reviews and all this stuff and talking to my friends and trying to get excited about this topic at the time I was working in as an athletic trainer and my greatest passion was working with sports teams on the field. And so when my master's supervisors came to me and they said, you won't be able to work with any teams while you're doing your master's, like you're going to have to take a step back from that. It felt like they were like taking away my child at the time. Uh, so I went to visit my, my mom for a weekend and I had always had dreams of traveling and doing some travel after I finished college. And all of a sudden this like career plan was laid out in front of me. And so a lot of people have like their parents who are like, you're gonna be a doctor and they like lay out their whole career plan. I had two highly uh, credentialed, highly awarded, like highly regarded professors at my university who are doing this for me. And I was in the middle of Costco with my mom. This was kind of breaking point one of two. Um, I was at Costco with my mom and she was like trying on a pair of jeans and she turned around and I'm like bawling my eyes out. And she was like, if you don't like the jeans, I won't get them. And I was just like, it's not even about the jeans. Like, I don't want to do this masters. I don't want to you know, like I, I wanted to go to Australia. That was my plan. And I, I went to school for this degree so that I could work with teams on the field. And now they're telling me I can't work with teams on the field to do this thing that I'm really not passionate about. Like, you know, I could have made it through that master's if you gave me the thing that I was most passionate about. So she was like, well, then just tell them you don't want to do it. And I was like, it's not that easy. So I, I, Summoned up the courage. I decided that I was going to, I was working with a baseball team at that time. Uh, it was in the summertime and I decided that I was just going to tell them that after the baseball season was over, I was going to Australia that I couldn't at that point in time, do the masters. I needed a little bit of time for myself. I'd already been in college for like five years. I needed a little bit of break. Um, and neither one of them have spoken to me since, which is which I'm okay with. Like it, it felt at the time like a parent turning their back on me. But ultimately, uh, my life has led me where it needed to go. And then in Australia, um, Australia was really like one big breakdown. I lived there for eight years, uh, and about three years into living there, the person that I'd been dating who we had just put an offer in on a block of land. He'd been telling everybody he was getting ready to propose. Uh, I found out on the day that I was pregnant, I or the day I found out I was pregnant was the day I found out that he had a girlfriend in another state and my entire life collapsed. Um, and then over the coming weeks, he was actually away with her when I found out. He had told me that he'd gone to a job interview in another state and he was actually with her for like the weekend. And had turned his phone off so I couldn't get a hold of him. Um, My entire life fell apart, and over the next couple weeks, I found out that he was actually a compulsive liar. So he, you know, when we put the offer in on a block of land, I was like, "We don't have the money for this." And he was like, "I've secretly been saving money, like to buy you your dream home." And I was like, "I don't believe you. Like, no, you haven't. You're terrible with money." And so the next day he brought me home this bank statement from the bank showing that he had all this money in there. And like, I went over it with fine tooth comb. It looked legit, but it was a total forgery. Um, yeah. So he was a compulsive liar, highly narcissistic. Um, I didn't tell anybody that I was pregnant because I was so embarrassed and humiliated around the infidelity that I didn't tell anybody about that. And I just felt like my life was spiraling. I couldn't eat or sleep for like two weeks and then I miscarried the baby, and like that took me to a whole new low that I just was not emotionally prepared for. Um, that led me to standing on a street corner in downtown Melbourne. So like a city of four or 5 million people about to step out in front of a taxi because that was the only way I could think to end the pain that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately my feet wouldn't move. So mentally I had committed, but my body wouldn't cooperate. And it was in that moment that I really realized that I didn't enjoy my life, that no amount of like external validation or accolades or achievement was enough for me anymore because I didn't like who I was. I didn't like what my life had become. And I knew in that moment that if I didn't do some healing that I actually wouldn't survive.
0: I think that's such a powerful, powerful moment to recognize that within ourselves. Uh, I I can relate in my own way so very much. Mine, mine should have been a different manner. It was actually when I when I decided to end my marriage. Um, it was, for me, it was I got to a point that my life was frozen, mm. right? That life just had seemed to stop, and and like you, know, although I was not at that street corner, like waiting to you know, ready to step in front of a taxi, that is how I felt, because I knew that the space that I was in in my life in that moment, I was so miserable. But on the outside, everything's amazing, right? On the inside, everything crumbled. Yeah, I and mean, yeah, it- point. yeah. Go ahead.
1: That, that relationship I was in, I mean, people like we had married couples telling us that we were the perfect couple and that they aspired to have the relationship that we had. And I was just like, oh, like, okay, well, maybe this is just what like love and relationship looks like. Maybe it's not what I see on the Hallmark channel. And maybe, you know, that maybe this is it. And so I stayed in that relationship because so many other people validated and validated it and so many other people told me how good it was that I, I genuinely started to believe that like that was all there was like you lived paycheck to paycheck and that's just how life looked and obviously now I know quite differently
0: yeah so let's talk about that because I mean that I mean I know granted there's a big transition there but like you were on that street corner ready to step in front of a taxi to end the pain and your body wouldn't allow you to what From there, how did you start to take the steps towards understanding how to love yourself and transition life?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I did what everybody kind of starts with. I went to a therapist. Um, It was actually meant to be relationship counseling because at that point in time, I was still considering getting back together with him. Mm -hmm. Um, and he told me to book the appointment and that he would be there and then he didn't show up. And so at about 15 minutes after she was like, why don't we just start with you? Um, so I think I had five or six sessions with the therapist. And after number six, she said, don't you feel so much better now that you've talked about all of this? Meanwhile, like during those six sessions, she's making comments like, you know, I'm surprised you're so well adjusted. I'm surprised you've been through all this stuff in your life and been able to accomplish what you have. So I think the biggest gift that therapy gave me was to recognize that I actually did have trauma because at that point I had judged myself based on like the worst situations that I saw on the news, right? Like, well, I'm not being physically abused. Well, I mean, I was, but you know, I'm, I don't have bruises or, uh, you know, I have like little red marks on my forehead, but they go away or, Um, you know, nobody's sexually abusing me. So I had justified what I had experienced and made it out and told myself for so long that it wasn't that bad because Mm -hmm. it wasn't all the time. It was only every second weekend and it was only until I was 10 years old and it was only right. So that was probably the best gift that therapy gave me. But from there, the change just kind of stopped. And so I started going to personal development events, the like rah-rah, loud music, lots of hugs. You feel great when you're there. And then you leave and it's like and I didn't I didn't really learn anything to change my life.
0: And and I and I thank you for bringing that them because I have not attended many of them. And and they're wonderful. And not to discredit what they are are there to do. It's the lasting change. Like you you go into these events Um, With this rah rah big love and walking away from that, it's it's really, we need to still really feel centered and autonomous in our being. I think that's where the greatest work really occurs is when we can really bring that love and shine that love within our being. Because when we walk away from events like that, it's like, okay, we've absorbed and now we have the strength to carry forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I had such a great time when I was there. And then I'd wake up like alone in my bed the next day and be like, oh like that's not life. I have to, I have to do something now. So, um, and then I hired a life coach, um, when life coaching was still like a fairly new space. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hired a couple life coaches and I said, I have this stuff from the past that I, that I need to deal with. I, I need to, to face it. And their response was always, well, there's nothing you can do about the past. You just have to accept that it happened and focus on the future. And I was like, I've become really good at that. And it's made me an overachiever and it's given me all these accomplishments. But I almost killed myself. So clearly it's not working. So eventually, um, right about the point that I was about to give up and just face the the reality that I had consistently come across that maybe you can't go back and heal the past, Um, I found NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and a form of hypnosis called Matrix Therapies. And that profoundly changed my life. And in the process of that, I realized that I had a gift for being able to intuitively use those tools to help other people make change and so it shifted both like my personal healing as well as what I was doing, um, as a profession so that now I can help other people make that change. And
0: what is, um, so I'm personally familiar with NLP, but what is the, the matrix
1: therapy? Um, so if you're familiar with NLP, you may have heard of timeline therapy. Um, so it is a deeper, more emotional healing form of timeline therapy. So it goes a little bit deeper. Um, So timeline therapy is very much for people who, who are watching who don't know. It is you go back to like the first event when something happened, you look at it from your adult mind and you tell your younger self, this is what you need to learn about this situation, which is so very much not giving like that inner child the ability to say, or feel what they needed to say. And it's the adult still telling the child. So matrix therapies is a form of hypnosis where we actually allow the inner children to come out and experience whatever emotions they needed to say, whatever they needed to in a very short controlled period of time, but Mm -hmm. it allows that person to let go. And so oftentimes um, I'll give you an example. I had a gentleman come and work with me who his father was very critical of him growing up. And so he had like all of this self-doubt. And I said, so we're going to do a session on your father. And he goes, but before my dad died, we already had these conversations. Like I told him that it wasn't okay that he, um, you know, that he treated me this way. And I told, you know, he apologized and we're all good. But when we actually did the session, so him as an adult didn't have much to say, but his inner children did. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a client now who's been, Um, he's from Mexico originally and his mom left at four, left him with his grandma and came to the U S and then uh, the plan was to build a better life and to bring him across, which she obviously eventually did. And so now as an adult, he understands why she had to make that decision, but the four-year-old doesn't understand why he was abandoned by his mom. And so he keeps, uh, he keeps attracting women in relationships who just abandon him. As As soon as he gets emotionally attached, they abandon him. And he's really been resisting me on like, I don't need to clear my mom. I don't have any negative emotion with her. We're good. Like, there's nothing there. And I'm like, well, if there's nothing there, then the session will literally take five minutes and we can move on to something else. But you don't know that there is nothing there until we actually get your unconscious mind to open up. Um, And so now that he's had another devastating breakup and abandonment, he's like, oh, Okay, I'm ready, I'm ready to explore this now.
0: Okay. I'm ready to accept that there's more healing to be to be had here. Yeah. And, and if, I personally believe that we we have it's a layering, right? Some in some cases, you know, we can we can sort of heal that specific moment in time with just one session. Mm-hmm. Right. And and really allowing our in our child or our child self to have a voice because our child self didn't have Necessarily, that voice or wisdom in that in that childhood to to really conceptualize the the trauma that that was raised, and it wasn't necessarily that our parents or our community, you know, were intentional about causing the trauma. It's how we internalize it as a child.
1: Absolutely, I mean, between the ages of zero and seven particularly we're very self referential which means that everything that happens we blame ourselves so you have somebody whose parents get divorced between that age and all of a sudden they blame themselves it's my fault mom and dad got divorced yeah. and so as adults we can justify it and we can use our logic and reason but it our logic and reason is only 4% of our brain's capacity and it's not what is driving the bus of our life and so we have to dig into the unconscious mind and we have to let the healing happen at that level, we also know that when we experience a negative emotion growing up, part of our psyche gets stuck at that age. So, you know, a year like 2020, for example, all of a sudden we have to deal with and pivot in this like unprecedented experience. Well, most people weren't doing that from whatever age they were in 2020. They were doing it from their two-year-old mindset who was acting out of anger or their one-year-old mindset who is acting out of fear. And so all of a sudden they're not able to access all of this information, all of this logic and intellect that they have. And instead they're emotionally responding from a younger version of themselves. And so even just by allowing, as we start to heal those inner versions of ourselves, our life changes really quick and people are always shocked at how fast the change happens um, even with me, like, like I said, I had a lot of anger growing up and my family, because I was living in Australia when I did my healing, they didn't see me for like a two year period. And so when I moved back to Canada, there was a situation that happened. I think I needed new snow tires for my car or something and they, they couldn't get me in right away. And normally like Mount Tiffany would have erupted and like just vomited, anger and negativity everywhere. And when my parents told me, I could see my parents and my brothers kind of brace for that, like emotional reaction. And I was just like, okay, well, that's, that's inconvenient, but what can you do? And my parents were just like, who are you? But like, it profoundly changes who we are. And it allows us to return to being who we're truly meant to be without all of, all of the drama and
0: trauma that we've faced. Yeah. And one of the, so something that comes through for me, and this is something I shared that was shared with me a few weeks ago, is that when we're born into this, into this lifetime, we are this perfect species, right? You know, we, we are this beautiful goddess of porcelain and over a lifetime we collect mud or people will throw mud in our direction and that mud starts to get stuck in our being. And we start to, in, in, like, we start to become porous and, and believe that to be our truth. Mm-hmm. And that's where the stories of the mistruths start to come especially in this first few ages the order of seven, where we are forming you know our reality and we don't have anything external to to validate so we just we believe that to our own. So coming back to healing that child that that childhood wound again and again and again and again it can be one session, it can be multiple sessions but we start to be able to shift how the synapses in our brain, the neuroplasticity is saying okay now this is the new way we're going to respond not react respond to the situation that's unfolding right here in front of me understanding what is mine mm-hmm. what is not mine yeah and absolutely. then the choice from that point yeah yeah and it is and it's fascinating because I also have done some I am also an LP practitioner so I've not only practiced it with my clients I it was it was the first um, Coaching practice that I was introduced into um, with my own trauma and my own healing, and it is—it can happen very quickly. I, I want to say that this uh, reactive to that is that we have to be open to receiving that.
1: Yes. Yeah. There. And- it, I mean, it is. Like you said, you have to be ready for it. Um, I've had people come to me and they're like, "I'm going to make my husband come to you," and I'm like, "It's it's they're not going to be ready for it." And so I actually won't even take them on as a client because mm-hmm. if they're not ready, then it just puts a bad taste in their mouth about this truly powerful healing technique. But when they are ready, I'm I'm here and I'm I'm happy to help.
0: Yeah, and as we wind down Tiffany, on this conversation, I'd love for you to share what is the, what is the one of the one biggest things that you Wish to share with the audience as a takeaway of when breakdowns occur, and that the joy and the, the joy—maybe joy is not the right word for it—greatest um, lessons that we can receive when we go through a major breakdown, whether it be a relationship ending or a job shift or you know financial burdens or something that, that's super massive in our being. What you know, what is something you'd like to share with the audience of how to work through that?
1: Yeah. So. I used to think I I used to be afraid of, of mistakes like, or the breakdowns that I've experienced. Um, But I've since learned that every time we feel like we're being rejected, we're really being protected and redirected. So, we're being protected from a relationship that is not good for us, or we're being protected from a job that doesn't see our genius. And we're really being redirected towards our path. So our soul can't speak to us in words, but it leaves these little breadcrumbs of clues. And so when you start to just check in with yourself during those times and ask like, what is it that I need to learn? I think people are so, Um, because the uncomfortable emotions, the sadness, the hurt, the anger, fear, whatever comes up in these breakdown moments, people are so afraid to sit with them because they feel heavy and they feel gross that they don't end up learning the lesson that they needed to. I mean, the relationship I told you about was not my first toxic relationship by far, but I didn't take time to learn the lesson and truly heal from it. And so every situation, whether it's a win or a quote unquote failure, If you take the time to sit down and sit with it and ask yourself, what did I need to learn? What, where was I not being true to myself? Where was I suppressing my voice? Where was I putting somebody else's needs above my own? Then you can really start to learn what that lesson happened to you for so that you can step into a better version of yourself because ultimately growth always looks like chaos and destruction. If we're going to build a new skyline, we have to tear down the old buildings that were there in order to build something new and more aesthetically pleasing. If we plant a seed in the ground, I know we don't see this, but the insides of the seed have to come spilling out. And so it looks like death and destruction and chaos to people who don't know. And so ultimately that's what a breakdown is. It's breaking down, it's that tower falling so that we can truly search through the rubble, see what is still important for us, take those lessons and then rebuild on a stronger foundation.
0: Uh, What a beautiful way to encapsulate this conversation and I can agree more. And for everyone, Tiffany, thank you so much for being part of the show today. And for everyone who's, who's joined us today, thank you so much for being a part of it. To learn more about Tiffany and how to work with her, you can find her in, find her on BlueLotusMind.com. And Tiffany, thanks so much for being part of the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Absolutely. And everyone joining us, thank you so much for being here. So excited to have you. Um, part, of, part of episode two of Breakdown to Wake Up. Um, and again, to learn a little bit more about me, Jocelyn Bellows, you can find me at facebook.com backslash 24 Additionally, Breakdown to Wake Up, Journey Beyond the Now is available in stores at johnbates.com backslash And this is a book that's brought together 15 authors from around the world who come together and share their own journeys of personal breakdowns and the life that they've learned to live as a result of those, those journeys. Um, fall into our knees understanding that the chaos is happening all around us not really understanding it then but really what we get to learn when we break through our ego and break down to our most beautiful forms of ourselves and how we find our true strength because it's always been there thank you all for joining and we'll talk again soon